Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to the Get Your Goat Podcast. Josh here today to break it down for you. With the NFL season inching closer, a week by week, I'm going to break down the top 10 at each position. And today, I am starting with quarterbacks. I'm going to give you my top 10 quarterbacks going into this NFL season. I'm going to talk about the Suns-Bucks Game 1 and Game 2, which is on tonight. Last night, the Lightning Stanley Cup champions, Tampa Bay did it. I am not happy about it. I'm going to dive more into that. Then I'll give you my top five teams in Major League Baseball all on the show today. So let's go ahead and get started with my top 10 quarterbacks. Remember, this is my top 10 quarterback list. You might have a different list, but these are my top 10 QBs going into this season. From 10 to 1, this is who I would like on my team, but most starting at 10, then trickling down to number 1, and why. So starting at number 10, I've got Baker Mayfield. Why? Well, in college, he was a stud at Oklahoma. Was really a dual threat. Could outrun a lot of those rushers there in college. Did a lot of damage both with his arms and legs. Then was drafted number one overall to the Cleveland Browns. And he hasn't been able to really use much of his legs. He's able to improvise a little bit. But the game has played much faster in the NFL than it is in college. Didn't start his first season in Cleveland or didn't play every game. But they won six games in the 13 games. He started, was terrific, I thought, with 27 touchdowns in those 13 games. Uh, played really, really good, had tremendous promise. Then he goes into his sophomore season and really has a down year in his first full starting campaign. Still has the six wins, but the 10 losses. And the thing that sticks out is the 21 interceptions. He threw seven more interceptions in three more games, and he threw five less touchdowns. That was not a ratio I was expecting. And you really have had good Baker and bad Baker. But to me, that was the first season where we've seen just bad Baker. Because he was good in those interim games he started the season before. And he was good then. But now, wrap it up to 2020, where he went 11-5. and Threw for 3,500 yards with a 63% completion percentage. 26 touchdowns to only 8 interceptions with a QBR of 72. He was brilliant last year in guiding them to a divisional round game, made big plays to his wide receivers without the help of Odell Beckham Jr. And like I said, was able to all get all the way to the divisional round, won the Browns' first playoff game in what felt like forever against the Steelers. Their nemesis beat them. In back-to-back weeks, might I say, week 17 to earn the playoff bid. And then the first week of the playoffs to oust them. And then they got so close to beating the Chiefs, but they could not do it. But Baker Mayfield was very poised last year, was as accurate as he's been in the pros. And I just have him right there because I think with Odell Beckham back, he's going to do some great things. He's going to put up. More yards, I wouldn't be surprised if he throws for 4,000 yards this season, 35 touchdowns, while keeping around hovering around that 10 interception mark. Because even though they have the best rushing duo, I think he's going to be called on more and more going into a contract year. This is set up perfectly for Baker to go out in what I think is one of the best rosters and go out and win the AFC North. With this Browns team, Baker Mayfield, I think, is going to turn into a real deal so far. 
next year. Number nine, Justin Herbert. Now, mind you, this is someone my mom didn't even know about, and me and my brother couldn't believe it. Justin Herbert, the rookie of the year for the Los Angeles Chargers, was brilliant last year as a rookie. That's why I have him so high at number nine, is because he was great in his first year with three game-winning drives, a completion percentage of 67, which is higher than Baker's, a QBR of 70, with 6-9 and nine in the 15 games that he started and played, a threw for over 4,000 yards, 31 touchdowns, 10 interceptions in 15 games, was 6-9, and nine, played really good behind, not a great offensive line, but got it to his wide receivers, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, had a decent running back, but Justin Herbert, again, his precision and accuracy, his decision-making for a rookie, to me, made me think that at 23 years old that he's going to blossom into a perennial, all-pro, Pro Bowl quarterback who is going to be dueling with Patrick Mahomes very shortly in this AFC West. But I like Justin Herbert a lot, and he's right there for me at number 9. Number 8, Dak Prescott. Why? This year, we didn't see much of Dak because of his injury. But in just five games, almost threw for 2,000 yards. He was on pace to break the yards total if he would have kept on playing at that pace. Threw for nine touchdowns and four interceptions. uh, And a QBR of 78, almost 80. And for being 2-3, and to me, that speaks volumes. But also, again, a lot of times his teams were down early and they had to throw and come back. So maybe those numbers were a little weighted. But if you t- take a look outside that, he's been to two Pro Bowls so far in his career in 2016, his rookie year, and 2018. Guided them to double-digit wins both of those times. His last fully healthy year, almost threw for 5,000 yards, 4,900 yards, 30 touchdowns, which was a career high for him, 11 interceptions. QBR of 70, completion percentage of 65. I mean, to me, he was just getting better and better, at least as a player, even though the team around him has changed. Offensive line maybe has gotten a little worse, have had the same weapons. Maybe Zeke's getting a little worse as well. But he is progressing. He had just had a major contract extension, so now all the pressure is on him. It's his moment, and we're going to see what we get from Dak Prescott. We will find out this season if he was worth all that money. It's going to be interesting, but I like him there at my 7th or 8th best quarterback because he has the stats. He throws touchdowns. His decision-making, again, great. He can scramble. But he prefers being in the pocket and making throws. In his first three seasons, he had 14 game-winning drives, which was the most done in 50 years. Needs to win a play. He's won a playoff game against the Seahawks in 2018, but he needs to get back there. Hasn't been past the divisional round. He's going to have to do it. And he's going to have to win more games. Like I said, his first three seasons, he had 14 game-winning drives. But in the two seasons since, he's only had one game-winning drive. He's one and two in playoff games, so he does have to be better in those areas. But from what I've seen from him, he's a big guy that's hard to get taken down. He'll make the right play for you. So I like Dak Prescott there at number 8.
Number seven, my man, Matthew Stafford, the real Matty Ice, who is now on the Los Angeles Rams, who I believe is poised for a breakout season, poised for an MVP here this year. Matthew Stafford is a great quarterback, underrated because he spent his time in Detroit where everything in Detroit football gets overlooked because it doesn't produce a team winner even though he was great. This is something I cannot believe. Still wraps my head around it. But uh, uh, Matthew Stafford, excuse me, has only been selected to one Pro Bowl, which was in 2014. One Pro Bowl. That year he was 11-5. and five, The best record he ever led the Lions to. Threw for 4,200 yards, which wasn't even his career high. 22 touchdowns, not even close to his career high with a QBR of 47. And a completion percentage of 60, which none of those are career highs. So he was selected to a Pro Bowl when he didn't even have career highs. When you look at some of his career highs, like 2011, where they went 10-6, and six, where he threw for over 5,000 yards, career high, 41 touchdowns, a career high, with a better QBR at 60, a better completion percentage at 64. That was, to me, an MVP caliber season. That's a Pro Bowl season. That's an All-Pro Season, that is great. And since then, he's only consistently been putting up 4,000-plus yard seasons, 20-plus touchdown seasons, throwing less interceptions. The man knows how to play football. 38 game-winning drives, the most since he's entered the league. I mean, he's just the real deal who is great as a player. I think he's a man. I think he's going to do great things in L.A. Again, the only hesitancy I have is he's only been in three playoff games in his career uh, and is 0-3 in such games. So the moment's going to be on him in L.A. The spotlight's going to be on him. But I'm sure he can do it. I've seen him do it in Detroit. He's thrown for over 5,000 passing yards in his career. 282 touchdowns. He's got the stats. The recognition's coming now to him since he's in a bigger market. It's going to be on delivery this coming year. Number six now, to me, this is a pure... Football ranking only, nothing of outside. Maybe a little bit factored into outside, which is why Deshaun Watson is not higher. But if all things go well for Deshaun Watson, he would be number six for me right now. Didn't play last year uh, because of, wait, he did play last year, but looks like he won't play this year because of certain issues. But three straight years, three straight Pro Bowls, this past year, had no weapons, had no wide receiver after trading uh, DeAndre Hopkins away and still led the league in passing yards, 4,800 yards, QBR of 70, completion percentage of 70, 33 touchdowns, he was sensational. In his career so far, 10 game-winning drives, 3 playoff games, and he's 1-2 in, in such games. The heartbreaker to 
The Chiefs, where we're up 24 to 0. Next thing you know, 28, 24, and then the implosion. But this man can throw the football. He can run the football. It's been known since his time in Clemson. Dabo's vouched for him. We've seen him play really well in Houston, even with no weapons, with a terrible offensive line. The numbers that he puts up are sensational, otherworldly, because he wants to do all he can to help this team win. He's a winner. He's always been on winning teams. So this Houston team this past year was a shock for them. Now it's going to get really ugly for Houston. But Deshaun Watson was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And if I had to start, I'd be happy to have him on my team. All things clear. Because he is a great, great quarterback. Number five. Josh Allen. Why? First year was so-so. Only started 11 games with so 5-6. First year as a starter was 10-6. and six, And then lost his first playoff game to the Houston Texans. Where he just made dumb mistakes in that game. Trying to force things uh, too much. And you just didn't know. You know, what you weren't expecting, you just wanted him to make the safe play. Or just, you know, make a play that's not going to cost your team. And he'd try to give plays that would cost his team. He'd make these crazy plays up. And you're like, is he going to do that in year three? We liked most of what we saw of Josh Allen. But is he going to take that step? Because we can't have him, when he's getting sacked, just throw the ball up and have it be a fumble and interception. So what did they do? They traded for Stephon Diggs to be a safety blanket. And he erupted in an MVP caliber season. Going to have a Pro Bowl last year. Was 13-3. and three, Made it all the way to the conference championship. Where we lost to the Chiefs. But he himself put up 4,500 yards. 37 touchdowns to 10 interceptions. A completion percentage of 70. A QBR of 81. Which is just brilliant. A QBR is a quarterback rating which is just great that he was able to do this in Buffalo. Everything aligned for him this season there. To me, this season is what I expected of Baker coming out of college and have expected from him every year since because Josh Allen made plays with his legs where he would run the zone read, act like he's running with the, act like the running back is going to take the football keep it, and then just rush off into the distance straight up for 40, 50 yards. He's a tough guy as well. He's six foot five, 240. This is a man quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. Half of his stats came this past year because this was a career year. Can he top this? I don't know. But with an extension maybe in the works, who knows what's up. With Josh Allen, I think he'll be even better next year. Number four, Russell Wilson. Why the number four? This man is another great quarterback. Seven-time Pro Bowler. Who started out as a game manager in Seattle making the right plays. Then he has turned into one of the focal points of the offense since Marshawn Lynch has left. And has consistently put up over 4,000 yards passing, 30 touchdowns, while also not turning over football a lot. Last year, to me, was an anomaly in that since he threw the football a lot more. Had a career year in passing yards at 42, 44,200 yards, 40 touchdowns, career high. He had a career high, 13 interceptions. Some of those interceptions were very costly. If you look at the Bills game, the Cardinals game, uh, that the tables really could have been turned if he were to have eliminated some of those mistakes. But had a quarterback rating of 73, 
and a completion percentage of 69, which was a career high. So he keeps on ascending, keeps on getting better. I think he's a great quarterback in the wrong system. 31 game-winning drives, the second most in the span since he's entered the league. One is Matthew Stafford, but he's a winner. Has been in 16 playoff games, as well as a Super Bowl champion. Also, he's 9-7 and seven in playoff games. Thrown for almost, it's like a whole other season with those 16 games with 4,000 yards passing, 25 touchdowns. I mean, the man can do it. The one trepidation I have is all with his philosophy, but also his escapability. He can escape and make great plays, but sometimes he escapes and gets sacks. He takes a lot of hits. Yes, the offensive line isn't good, but sometimes it's him scrambling, trying to make those plays that causes him to get sacked because he gets sacked at a consistently high rate, uh, approaching you know 50 times every season, which costs his team around 300 yards or so a season, which is huge. But Russell Wilson can ball, to me, the best deep ball thrower in the league, most accurate deep ball thrower in the league. He can pinpoint it. He just carries it high to where only the wide receiver can make a play on the ball. That's what makes Russell Wilson so good, and that's why he's sitting there at number four. Number three. Reigning MVP, Aaron Rodgers, discount, double check, coming off to me, his best season ever at the age of 37. Selected to the Pro Bowl, was a first-team All-Pro last year, has been first-team All-Pro three times in his career, and has been to the Pro Bowl uh, Eight times. Aaron Rodgers knows how to be a great quarterback and play the game of football. To me, is the most accurate quarterback of all time. Is also the one who turns the football over the least amount as well. Last year, had a career high at 71%. Completion percentage, a quarterback rating of 85, which is out of this world. 48 touchdowns to 9 interceptions, or 5 interceptions, excuse me. 4,300 yards. I mean, this he was brilliant. Brilliant. Him and Devontae Adams were special, but that's only half the story, because Devontae didn't even half these passing yards, which would have been 22,100 yards. He was much more brilliant than that in making plays to every wide receiver, and he can do that because the placement of a football, whether it be the intermediate game or the short passing, is usually spot on. He's able to make these quick throws and has such a quick release on the football that puts it only into the position. And only the wide receiver can make those plays. And it's just so smart when trying to draw defenses offside, reading the defense as well, making the correct audible, relaying signals to the running back behind him. Same with the wide receivers, making sure they're in the right positions. Uh, he's turned into more of a leader. Um, this team is going to be interesting to see if he's staying in Green Bay or if he's not. But regardless of it, after having his best season in everything associated with Aaron Rodgers, you know, the 412 total touchdowns, uh, 51,000 career passing yards, uh, 25 game-winning drives, played in 21 playoff games, is a Super Bowl champion, a three-time MVP, I mean, he is amazing, even though he might not be my favorite quarterback out there. Don't like it. 
I will give him props for sure. Number two, who is it? This was tough for me going into this year. Who do I want at number two? Who do I want at number one? But number two, I am putting Patrick Mahomes at number two. He's been in the league for four seasons, started three straight seasons, three straight Pro Bowls, one first-team All-Pro. This man knows football. Last year, 4,000-plus passing yards, 38 touchdowns to 6 interceptions. Quarterback rating of 82 or 83. Completion percentage of 66. A couple years removed from his MVP season where he threw for 5,000 passing yards, 50 touchdowns. Uh, He is just one happy passing stat. He is this good. Seven game-winning drives, eight playoff games, one Super Bowl, played in two Super Bowls, has been brilliant. And I don't think he will get a lot of game-winning drives in his career because his team is usually never down, which requires him to have a game-winning drive. The Chiefs at their best with Patrick Mahomes has a perfect blend of an air raid spread offense where they throw the ball downfield have trick plays with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey in the co to where they can get up and score fast and early and then they can take the foot off their gas or keep on cruising at a pace where they don't have to come back and that's what's great about it. Patrick Mahomes is brilliant. His first 32 career games threw for an NFL record 79 Pass touchdowns. I mean, what more can you say about Patrick Mahomes? People are already comparing this him to LeBron and Mike and Tom Brady to Michael Jordan. If it's the same kind of MJ LeBron debate with Brady and Mahomes, I don't think we're there yet. Mahomes still has to win a few more to get to that debate, even though that debate settled for me. But with Everything Patrick Mahomes has going for him, the brilliance that he has, the improv that he has on the field, the playmaking ability, making throws from literally anywhere on the field and throwing it as far as he wants from that point, whether it be off your back foot, the left foot falling down, diving, it doesn't matter. He's going to try to make that play, which I respect about Patrick Mahomes. It only makes him so much better than everyone else except this number one quarterback who is synonymous with a goat and that is Tom Brady really not much to be said MVP candidate all the time three First team all pros has been an MVP before and again. Has been to multiple Pro Bowls. Even though most of the time he doesn't play in them because his team is going to the Super Bowl. He's had 48 game winning drives in his career. Has played 45 playoff games. Has every record imaginable. As I've stated on previous podcasts. That he holds just about everything. But this year specifically with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a new system, throwing for 40 touchdowns, 44 total touchdowns if you count the QB sneaks, to only 12 interceptions, almost 4,700 passing yards, quarterback rating of 73, completion percentage of 65, and to me those numbers are only going to get better. Another year in the system, getting more acclimated with Bruce Arians, with Byron Leftwich, in the best receiving core in the game with Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Scotty Miller, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski, Cameron Bray, O.J. Howard returning off injury. I mean, what a plethora of weapons Tom Brady has, and it's only going to make him better. And the longevity it is for him and this team, Tom's the GOAT. 
He's a quarterback I want going in to this season from what I've seen from him last season and what we'll continue to see. So those are my top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL going into this season. Baker Mayfield, Justin Herbert, Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford, Deshaun Watson, Josh Allen, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and Tom Brady. Now getting in to the Suns and the Bucks. Game 1 went to the Suns behind the brilliance of Chris Paul. 32 points, 9 assists, 4 rebounds, shot 63% from the field and 57% from 3. Finals MVP in the making, just give it to him. Who needs Sarich when he tore his ACL? Hope for a speedy recovery for him. But Devin Booker, not looking like his self at all. Shooting 38% from the field and 12% from three. Who needs him too when you got Chris Paul doing Chris Paul things and DeAndre Ayton with 22 points and a whopping 19 rebounds? Who needs Devin Booker then? Not Chris Paul because Chris Paul is now handling the rock. Pick and roll with DeAndre Ayton is working fine. Who knows if I need a defender needs to work down to cover Ayton and settle and have CP3 settle for that mid-range jumper that he loves or pull up on CP3 and have him pass it over to Ayton with the dunk. Who knows? What else do I know? Giannis Antetokounmpo was not fully healthy that game. I thought he'd be coming back game three, but he tested that leg early. And to me, he did not look fully at 100% at all. Shot 54% from a field, which he's better at. Only 20 points, you know, which is, you know, not Giannis. He's usually 10 points better than that, which would have been better for his Bucks team. I thought Chris Middleton was the best player on this Bucks team when he shot whenever when he got 29 points, 46% from 3, he was really good. I thought Brooks Lopez was fine. DeAndre Ayton really dominated him, but Brooks Lopez is a big guy and he's got to do better against DeAndre. I think he will tonight, but Giannis has to step up. I think the extra day of rest or the extra two days of rest would have been better for him even if they still lost this game. But Drew Holiday has to step up as well. Didn't make a single three-pointer. Only 10 points. He's got to be better. But to me, Drew Holiday works better with Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis really was a star in the role that he was in with Giannis injured. Coming off a bench, to me, it just doesn't flow. And it just doesn't feel right for this Bucks team. So they have to do... A hard chemistry check before this game. Giannis has got to get better at free throws. The team as a whole has got to make more free throws. They missed 7, 9 of 16, shot 56%. Where the Suns did get to the line 10 more times for them. A little bit of a disparity there. But the Suns made it count. 25 of 26, shot 96% from the free throw line. That's what you got to do from a charity stripe. And that's exactly what the Suns did. And they controlled game one, held off Bucks rallies the whole way. But game two is tonight. What do I think is going to happen? I think the Bucks must play better. Giannis must play better. Drew Holiday must play better. Your bench must play better. This whole team has to play better. Dario Sarge now is injured. He wasn't a huge player for them, but he was kind of a key guy when DeAndre Ayton subs out that you at least have somebody 
off the bench to come replace him, get a breather for DeAndre Ayton. I think that's going to test uh, their forward depth up front in the paint there. It's going to be interesting to see when DeAndre Ayton comes out, what adjustments uh, Budenholzer makes for the Bucks. Will they still go big with Brooks Lopez and Giannis in there, or will they go smaller to match the Suns? How will the small ball lineup match the Suns? Because they got to match the pace of this team, and I think the Bucks can do it. I think this is a huge game, but it's not a necessity. The Bucks were down 0-2 to the Nets and wound up in winning that series in seven. So I'm not saying tonight is a must-win. But it would be nice to even up the series going 1-1. I'm a little nervous about picking the Bucks this game. But I am going to roll with the Bucks. I'm rooting for them. But I'm picking the Suns to win. I think the Suns will win this game. Going to Milwaukee. Confident up 2-0 before this series takes a 180. But I'd like to be pleasantly surprised. Tonight. What else is going on? The Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup. They get no congratulations from me. No thank you card. No anything. Are they deserving? No. A real back-to-back champion? No. Call me a whiner. I don't care. I don't like Tampa Bay, and I'm here to discredit Tampa Bay and their work. I'll give Andre Vasilevsky props. Con Smythe winner, I'll give him that. Because he did make timely saves in a lot of games this postseason. But the rest of this team can go kick rocks for as all as I'm concerned. The rest, too, for that matter. Third period, Josh Anderson... Gets a breakaway and is hooked by the defender, interfered with, and straight bottled down to the ground to where he couldn't even get a shot off. And there's no penalty? No penalty on this? If it was the other way around, there probably would have been a penalty shot. I thought the Canadians deserved a penalty shot or a two-minute penalty for interference or hooking because he didn't hold the stick low. To kind of stick lift Josh Anderson. The stick was high in the midsection. A clear hooking. And took him down to the ground. Which was a clear penalty. Clearly missed by the refs. In just another way. To try to award Tampa Bay Lightning with a trophy. And that was it. To me that was a huge turning point in the game. Who knows what happens if a penalty shot happens or Canadians get a power play. But the refs robbed them of that one, which is terrible. And I think the Lightning, who are $19 million over the uh, salary cap uh, for the playoffs with the adding Stamkos and Kucherov, I think they added a few more million just in the playoff run alone by paying off these refs. Because it's nothing like I've ever seen this before where you know the Canadians being the last team in with only 59 points that they just could not have them win the Stanley Cup it was terrible and to me this isn't a real Stanley Cup champion like last year because of the pandemic so it is an asterisk even though they're awarded and I'll still say they're the 2020 Stanley Cup champions there's definitely an asterisk next to it in this season as well, especially NHL, who didn't even know how to start the season right or on time or even manage the COVID situation, uh, much like the NBA and NFL were able to do. They had a much more shortened schedule at 56 games. COVID decimated a lot of this schedule. They were in an easy division as well. Uh they really were. They had to play uh, Florida. Who they play Florida was much improved, so that was better. But Carolina is usually in the East. 
not in the same division and to me just isn't really a playoff built team. The Predators, again, are a former shell or a shell of their former selves. And when they made it to the Stanley Cup, so they're really not that good. Dallas dealt with injuries in its issues with COVID and just had a lot of problems this season. The Blackhawks, you know, weren't really that good and decided to wish-wash all their players away and dealt with injuries. The Detroit Red Wings, that's enough said just saying that name. And the Columbus Blue Jackets as well in the tumultuous season they had. So this really isn't a division that was equal in the way it was built. When we get back to the divisions, as we have seen before the pandemic, hopefully that'll be next year, you're going to see the Tampa Bay play a team such as the Boston Bruins, who are a really good hockey team, have a great first line, a great goaltender. See what happens with Taylor Hall. But if you're going to play Boston who's much better than the teams they played in their uh, playoff season. The Toronto Maple Leafs as well, you know, who's an ultimate playoff bust, but they actually will play more in their season and will play them more. The Montreal Canadiens, who they just beat in the finals, they'll see them a lot more often. The Florida Panthers, again, much improved. So really, there's five good teams right there. Then you've got the Sabres. Um, you can kiss them away. Uh, Ottawa as well. But Detroit, I think, will be on the come up. So they'll be in a much more tougher division. And then they'll properly face the Eastern team, which will be the Rangers, Capitals, Islanders, Pittsburgh, Carolina, Columbus, those teams. Before then, so I feel... Like this season was like the episode of Loki. And this was like a variant season of the NHL. And I have to prune this season and even last season to get it back to the original sacred timeline. Because to me, these past two seasons have not been part of the original timeline. I have to prune them. And now we're back to the original timeline, to where Tampa Bay dominates the regular season, where they're great champions, and Nikita Kucherov is a hard trophy winner, and they're the President's Trophy winner, and oh, what happens? Oh, that's right. They don't even make it out of their own divisional round of a playoffs or their conference playoffs. That's what's going to happen. Because we're going back now to the sacred timeline. We're no longer a variant in a branched reality. We are now back if the NHL is back for an 82 games of play. And I guarantee this Tampa Bay Lightning will not win another one. They will not three-peat. They will never win a Stanley Cup again. For as long as I'm alive, I really do think that they will never win another one again. And if I do, then I might just quit watching hockey altogether. But I do not think that they will win another Stanley Cup. Hopefully with the NHL salary cap staying flat as it is, that they can't pay people and have to cut people, which is nice as well. That'll help out get that $19 million shed down from where it belongs. But yeah, that is it. No congratulations. No thanks from me at all. Should Montreal have been there? No, other teams should have beat them. But they tried their best. And Lightning, you got a couple of asterisks next to there. I wish there was asterisks next to the players' names that are engraved onto the Stanley Cup because uh, those are all fake champions on there. Wasn't a fan of Nikita Kucherov's drunken post-game shirtless conference at all. This just fuels the fire of further disliking the Tampa Bay Lightning and further liking other teams I wish I wouldn't like, like the Bruins, and now I will be rooting for the Bruins next year just to knock off 
the Tampa Bay Lightning. I hope we get an 82-game schedule to where we get to see the fraudulent Lightning that they are not make it to a Stanley Cup final ever again because we will now have been entering the proper flow of time. With that rant done, I'm now going to give you my top five teams in Major League Baseball. Number five, the San Diego Padres. Why? Because they're in a tough division. They're number three. But it's tough with the NL West with the Giants and the Dodgers and such ahead of them. But... Tatis is playing like the NL MVP, mashing home run after home run, making great plays as a shortstop, and incredible catches. He's a real deal. He is what I say. He is what makes the Padres run, and the Padres will go as far as Fernando Tatis Jr. will take them. He's having an electric season that has been good for a resurging Padres who are literally one of the in the history one of the worst MLB teams in the history of MLB but they have been reignited by Fernando Tatis number 4 the Boston Red Sox why well they're number 1 in the AL East have the most all-star selections at five, Rafael Devers, J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, Eovaldo, the pitcher. This team has been good and consistent in their back, acting like it's 1901 again. Number three. Well, Los Angeles Dodgers, I can't believe they're this good with this many many people gone when they've dealt with injuries to Cody Bellinger and Mookie Betts and Corey Seager and Trevor Bauer undergoing investigation and Clayton Kershaw going down. But they keep on winning, which speaks volumes to their depth. And they're not only winning, but they're winning big as they have the second largest run differential in Major League Baseball, which is in terms of their runs scored to runs allowed. Number two, the Houston Astros. Why? Well, their bullpen has been really, really good as of late. Their hitting has been good, and they actually have the best run differential in baseball, has scored the most runs in baseball, is one of the best teams offensively. But their pitching is also great as well. And this team looks like they're on a mission to prove that they're more than just cheaters. Number one, the San Francisco Giants. Back at it again. Why? Great veteran lineup that the 30s, 35-year-olds are playing like they're 20, 25-year-olds. The third best run differential in baseball. They plow, play sound baseball offensively, defensively, pitching, bullpen, starting rotation, lineup. Everything is flowing right for them. And the players that have played before that have been playing for 10, 15 years are having great years for them. So that's my top five, the San Diego Padres. Boston Red Sox, Los Angeles Dodgers, Houston Astros, and the San Francisco Giants. Now, I'm just going to go through a few quick things here to finish this podcast off. Is this Saturday, Dustin Poirier fighting Conor McGregor, the trilogy fight. One and one so far. Conor McGregor, seven years ago in 2014, knocked out. Dustin, but earlier this year, Dustin got his revenge with a vicious TKO on Conor McGregor. Round three, winner of this will most likely 
fight for the lightweight belt, but they wanted the rematch first. I think Conor McGregor gets round three. This is his first trilogy fight. He fought Nate Diaz twice and hasn't had the third fight, which was one and one there. But I think Conor McGregor is going to sleep Dustin within the first two rounds. This weekend he's training different. As he said, it's hard to knock a man out when his family, when both families are there and there's kind of a mutual friendship. So he's kind of taking that approach away and this is manic McGregor, no family involved, nothing where he is just going out. Dustin with the mind games where he's done with Eddie Alvarez and Jose Aldo. And I think it's going to work again with Dustin. What else? The Copa America final is this Saturday night. Brazil versus Argentina. To me, you have one of the best teams, if not the best team in international football in Brazil. Going against the best player arguably the greatest of all time of soccer in Lionel Messi, the great team, the great player. To me, this is reminiscent of the 2006 NBA Finals where you had the best team in the Warriors go against the best player of LeBron James, and LeBron James and his team stood the test of time that series. This is just one game, 90 minutes, but could be more. I think Lionel Messi is going to get that first international trophy with Lionel Messi, with Argentina. It's going to happen. Euro 2020, Italy versus England. This is tough for me. Two really sound teams. England hasn't been there since 1966 in any major final. But I think England's going to do it. They're going to break through. With a history of bad luck, I think they're going to do it. And then also Roger Federer down in straight sets. Could this symbolize the end of him? I don't think so. I think he'll be back. But it does signal that Novak Djokovic could run his third Grand Slam in a row and tie both him and Nadal again, which I do not like. Not happy about it. But that's it. Hope everyone enjoys the rest of their week. Watch some sports, watch the Bucks Suns. Football's almost back. Black Widow is out. Huge Marvel fan. I'll be seeing that. Bye, everybody.